0: Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it.
1: I don't have any definitions, but I have a couple of statements. One, God will not rest until all his people come to the knowledge of who he really is. So that means that he, do you know somebody in your life that you wish knew God better? God's not going to rest till they do. I know you think it's all on you. Why don't you just spend time doing your thing, your destiny? You're not the Savior, right? See, that's the one thing that if the Holy Spirit wants you to pray for somebody, let him bring them to your mind and then pray. You know, I just quit making lists a long time ago because I just wanted to be led by the Holy Spirit. And then my list kept getting in the way of what he wanted to do in prayer. Now, you've got to be disciplined to do that. You can't just be like, oh, well, I never thought of anything. Well, we're, I watched TV for 24 hours. Well, that's not, you're not going to think of anything then. What your input is, so, you know, you've got to alter that to according to where you're at. Um, and then the other statement is, many want victory before the cross, but true victory comes after resurrection. So those are my starts. So. I have been laying a foundation for a long time of this thing called the New Covenant. The New Covenant is the foundation, it's the thing that sets apart what we believe as Christian people and what every other religion believes. Every other God, every other religion, every other God that people serve requires Payment. Wow. We're the o- we have the only religion on the earth that everything's been provided up front.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So good.
1: That's that's a really cool thing. Yeah. And access to the whole setup is free. You just say yes. Yeah. And you say yes when you leave here at two. When you go to bed at night at ten, when you wake up in the morning at three, it's it's a it's yes all day, yes all night. The moment where you're like oh, I don't feel like it, you didn't say yes. I mean that's so
0: good,
1: it's not hard. It's just that your agenda, your motive, your feelings, your level of whatever just got in the way of the leader. He's leading, and so he says get up at three and you're like no I don't I feel like you won't be able to give me good rest tomorrow while I'm at work that's just you that doesn't have anything to do with him I mean you can choose that and he's gonna be mad but he'll have to go find somebody else because see his purposes are going to be fulfilled whether you participate or not but if you participate you're building a reward in eternity it's is that it's simple right? So I've been laying this foundation of this really cool thing called the covenant, which not only fulfilled the law, it it actually introduced all these amazing things. Because remember why the law was... I just want to say some more foundational statements, I guess. Why was the law established? The law was established because when God saved his slave people and called them his own, God saved them and called them his own. And he established a covenant. He went first. Yes. Have you ever been married and you just want your husband or wife, or you've been dating oh. someone, or you've been friends with someone, or just just as a human on the planet, <laughs> you're waiting for someone who has you on their minds, right. and they all of their affection is towards you, their love is towards you, their. Thoughts towards you when when they wake up in the morning, you're on their mind. When they go bed at night, you're on their mind. Where they get you all your favorite foods, like you can lay on the couch and they bring you Kleenexes and drinks and change the channel for you. Forty years ago, we did remote. That that's that's your that's that's your life as a human. Is when is every that's what we're looking for, right? But see, the cool thing is God did that. When you get up in the morning, he's on your mind. He's on his mind. You're on his mind. Something like that. Well, I was going to say, when he didn't go to sleep, so he didn't get up. So I was thinking, well, when he gets up in the morning, but it's really when you get up in the morning, you're on his mind. When you go to bed at night, you know, since he's not going to go to bed, he'll stay up all night watching over you. You're all, You're. always. He's the thing you're looking for. The one that, is, that you're always on his mind, that he's always providing for you, that he's going to get you that remote if you need it, that he's going to give you that word if you need it. He's going to give you that encouragement. He's going to give you that perfection, protection. He's going to give you funding. That, that thing you're looking for, you know, instead of another human. Have you ever just been sitting at home and you're like this morning, I decided I was going to sit in this different chair in my room to study this morning. Part of the reason is, is because of DOGs, but I love them, but I just, I had, was already dressed and I didn't want any dog hair, no care. But so I was going to sit in this chair, but see, I have a routine in the morning where I go and I make myself a cup of tea and I get myself this little peanut bar because I got to have something when I first get up because I'm starving. I've been fasting all night long. And I set, I unwrap it partially, give half the wrapper to one of the dogs, and then they spread, they spread. They See, they know my routine more than me. So I'm sitting in this chair, which is different, because I'm usually sitting in my bed doing this. And there's two of them is, are sitting right there looking up at me. And one of them is doing this the whole time. Tot, Tot is, she's a bouncer. So the whole time, and there's nothing going on. I'm not giving them the wrapper. I'm not giving them nothing and so then they switched sides. And then so it was just back and forth this whole time. See that routine. I don't know why I'm telling this story, but y'all know why I'm telling this story? Yes, that's it. So I'm sitting there. Yes. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, I need a Kleenex. And I'm like, well, there's Lynn over there. I could get her to get up and get me one from this box over here. And I'm like, oh, should I ask her? I don't know. But I did because because i had gotten her nightstand last night and i realized she had a bunch of new kleenexes in there and so i said i don't even have to get up right Right. i can just holler right see and i lynn throw me kleenexes see that's what we're looking for we're looking for ease do you see that that's that's what that story is about that we're looking for ease aren't we stop let's stop Let's stop doing that because, see, then we measure everything God's doing by our own comfort level. I'm going to talk about that today. So I'm starting this series a little bit for a while. I'm going to be talking about the new inheritance. And it's it is it's probably not going to sound like today that I'm talking about the new inheritance, but I am because I said it. I said we're starting it right now. Okay. So let's just turn to our foundational scripture, 1 Peter 1. I've been really funny today, so it's good. First Peter one, are you there? Yeah. The title of this is called "Our Living Hope." Have you ever been hopeless? Yep. Yeah. What made you feel hopeless? Did you did you know it was? Thank you, Lynn. Did you know it was a feeling? It's not a reality. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know it was a feeling? Yeah. How much, see that to the degree that we think things are hopeless, that's the degree that we have to have truth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like if I just like feel like, you know, Pam don't like me today, you know, then that feels sad. And I'll go to her and say, well, why don't you like me today? But if I say, well, Pam don't like me today, she's going to quit room. She's going to quit one life. She's going to move to a different house, to a different state. She's going to work for some other ministry. See, their hope went a whole different direction than just that she had something else on her mind so she didn't treat me like I wanted. Do you see what I'm... So see, hope has legs, and hopelessness does too. He can walk right out the door, right? But 1 Peter is describing something that is a living hope. So that means it's living. That means that it's active. That means it exists today. It didn't say a living hope until the 20th century starts. Right? So this is Peter. remember Peter, right? He's the denier. He's the ear cutter offer, right? But he's had a different experience now, I believe, because listen to what he said. From Peter, an apostle Jesus, the anointed one, to the chosen ones who have been scattered uh, like seed into the nations living as refugees. Is that good? Yeah? Yeah? So scattered like seeds. What does that mean? That's a, a, a seed bears after like kind. Yeah. Right? So he's talking to people who he's not living with around his area, but who are crazy fanatics for Jesus, right? Got it? And he tells where they're at. They're in in cappuccino. And (laughs) verse 2, You're not forgotten, for you've been chosen and destined by Father God. The Holy Spirit has set you apart to be God's holy ones, obedient followers of Jesus. He's got the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit right there who has been gloriously, who have been gloriously sprinkled with his blood. May God's delightful grace and peace cascade over you many times over. Celebrate with praises the God the God and Father of Jesus, who has shown us his extravagant, extravagant mercy. For his fountain of mercy has been, has given us a new life and we're reborn, experiencing a living, energetic hope yeah. through the resurrection. That's why he had to be resurrected so so we could have a living, energetic hope. That's good, right? Here it is, verse 4. We are reborn into a perfect inheritance. Now let's listen to what the Passion Guy says. He says, The second result that comes from our new birth is eternal inheritance, which is available by faith. And will also be reserved in heaven for us as we pass from death to life. Paul describes it as every spiritual blessing that has been already given to us by God. And he references Ephesians 1. Because that kind of sounded like, well, we're going to get this cool inheritance when we die. Kind of. Didn't it? A little bit? Did you pick up on that a little bit? But let's go over to Ephesians. Why are those not together? Hold on. Okay. Sorry. Just had to move that around. Ephesians 1, 3. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift. Don't you love that? Yes. So that cleared it up, right? Yeah. Yeah. That means we got one here and one there. Right. I love that message I sent out about from Bill the other day. He said your inheritance needs to be explored. Kinda like land. You know, you can buy a plot of land and he said, you know, you need to go out on the land and see, you know, where the trees are, where the stream is, where the lake is, you know, where the wildlife. You need to explore So see, here's what I feel like we do. We don't call ourselves slaves, but we act like slaves. And slaves don't want to push the envelope because they're afraid they're going to get in trouble by the master. If you have an inheritance, you can do anything you want with it. See, the, the crazy thing is that I see happen to a lot of people, and it happens in real life when, when like, someone is about to die. And you know they've got money they're gonna give you, and they start telling you what you should do with it. Even when they're dead and gone, what they think what they told you, you act like it's some sort of rule for you. This is a real thing. This is the same thing that's going on supernaturally. So whenever whenever we have not been given a supernatural heritage from our natural parents. <clears throat> then our natural parents tell us what we should do with our lives. Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. Are you fine? Yes. My... Yes. And see, that's what prevents us from exploring the new inheritance. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's good. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Because they're actually putting limits on what our dreams are because they didn't do a God dream. So their ability, see, God is the dream giver. And so our ability to dream doesn't come from a natural source. And so if we live by the attitudes and actions of people that didn't know God, it will put a limit on what we can do supernaturally and it will do what Chrissy described very well that the Holy Spirit gave her that story. We will begin to become focused on things, the, the tears in our genes and the things. I mean, just while she was up there talking, I was getting all I was getting all captivated by the tears in my genes, just thinking, oh, this is exactly how it happens. because yeah. someone told us to look at them. My mom God love her, she was a melon, and she never left the house without her face on. Do you even know what that means? Yeah. She never did go out if her toenails and fingernails didn't match. I was ra- that's what I was raised in. And so it took me forever to leave the house without my face on, because I thought everybody else was thinking you left the house without your face on. And I realized no one cares if my face is on. <laughs> <laughs> and so now there's a whole movement, let's don't put our faces on anymore. <laughs> Because everybody was raised to not leave the house. So we couldn't go anywhere. we said, I'm tired of not going anywhere because my face ain't on. Do you see? That's just a practical way to describe a limitation. I have to wear makeup to leave the house or someone will judge me for not having makeup on. And I found it. I just tested it to see if it was true. That's how I found out it wasn't true. And see, think of ways that that happened has happened to you. Ways that someone said a limitation on what you can earn, or where you can live, or what you can buy, or what kind of car you are supposed to, or you deserve to have. It's just a limitation. Yes. You got to talk to someone who's outside the realm of your personal limitation to yes. say, "Here's another way to look at this. Here's another perspective. This might free you up a little bit." Yes. And see, then you have to deal with the guilt you feel from not doing it the small way. This is not this inheritance. God's inheritance is all free. It's abundant. It's unlimited. And you have to learn how to speak the language of heaven to be able to access it. You don't get to use the language of a slave. That's why God said to them when they came out of Egypt, tell them to spend three days cleaning up their clothes. Paul spent three days cleaning up his mind. Because why they were getting the old muck off, and see, then God wanted to come do a demo. He's like, I already, like I just read in that scripture, I already screamed out the the sunrise, ah, yeah. yeah, sunrise. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty fantabulous. Have you ever looked at the sun yeah. with your eyeball? You're not supposed to. What are y'all doing? You're not blind. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever looked at the sun full force right into the sun? How many parents told you you'd go blind if you looked at the sun? Because why? It just, it just screamed God's nature. Surely the sun's brightness is a good representation of how God wants to show off every day. He's brighter than the sun. And so see, we are the ones who put limitations on how God can show off. And then we would create all these barriers and walls and we're pretty much mummified. And we just said, hey, you know, I don't want to look over there at that bright thing because I'll go blind. It's just all limitations to what? To us dreaming. To us experience. See, we can't have joy if we don't experience the abundance and we can't experience the abundance if someone told us it was selfish. Remember what favor what Bill said favors for is to give away. See, I'm already good. I'm provided for. I'm protected. All that's already been done for me. Just because I'm not good at accessing it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And so then, if I want, if I make everybody treat me well, my two girls right here. My two clerics are on that right now. They're getting. The, they're on the people aren't treating them well category. Lynn is like she's on a thing. She's been on a thing for six months, baby. That, that thing is kissing her every day. And the other day she's like, man. I'm just really riled up right now. I said, This this is your gift from Papa. Six months is still going on. Well, what do I do? Well, what do I, I, I'm just like, I, because why? Someone should treat her better. Someone should be more acknowledging that she's a human and that she has this problem and that they need to solve it. And they should be, and Pam should, all these people should be doing Pam the, the way that she wants it done. And she's nice, so they should be nice. I'm like, oh, y'all are on a whole different plan right now. Y'all are on the giving away the, the favor plan. That made all y'all nervous, I can tell. But the, this is the giving away the favor. You may not be there yet. You maybe have not graduated to that yet, but there'll be a day when you're really good and you're solid and you're like, I don't need all the special treatment and all the food to be perfect and everything where I go to be just right. And think about me, but now I'll just give away some grace. Woo! So that was my foundational scripture. So, do you get it? Yes. Perfect inheritance here and now. Yes. Right? It's already been given. Yes. It already exists. Yes. It's kind of like you have this secret savings account that's an unlimited number. Yes. But you have to have this special code to get it. Yes. And the special code comes from how relational you are with the code giver. Yes. Got it? Yes. Got it? So, everything I want to say... From now on, about the new inheritance, is this is a, you got it? Yeah. Okay. Let's turn. To, let's turn to Matthew twenty-one. So when you look up the word inheritance, it's it's this is how you spell it. You ready? In the Greek, kleronomia. It's a big word. Let me see if I can have. Oh no, it's not on there. Oh yeah, here it is. Here. Let's see if he'll say kleronomia. it. Do you like that? Let's do it one more time. Kleronomia. There it is. That's what. That's what inheritance, that's how you say it in the Greek. If, if Mendel was here, she could say it for us. This is what it says. Inheritance is what it says. That's the definition. That, did y'all think that was going to be deeper? a long word. It says what is given to one as a possession. Now, I have found that we kind of were raised, Just that's when we sing in the sweet by and by and I'll fly away, because we were kind of raised, get me the heck out of here. Get me off this globe to my mansion. That's a wrong mindset. Let's repent from that right now. Say, Papa, I repent. I turn away from that idiotic, stupid religious mindset that kept me Locked in to never being successful or never dreaming and never being responsible. Sorry, you know that prayer already. So that's what happened. So then we've been working against the negative. Are you with me, religious people? So then anything God talks about with stewardship or discipline, we're like, well, that's just going to be really hard. And I'm just going to be in trouble all the time. I just can't do it right. That's, that's where that, this is where this mindset came from, whether you were even raised in religion or not, that's where it came from. And none of that is, that's, that's why I said at the very beginning today, it's time to switch our principle to saying, we're going to live from a biblical perspective. I'm going to change. I'm going to allow the Bible, the word of God, Jesus in the word to come in with his scalpel And remove old beliefs that made me comfortable, made me fat and happy, saucy and lazy. I'm going to have it with this cowboy. I'm going to let him cut away that extra fat that makes me feel weighty and lethargic and lazy and unproductive. And I'm going to let him infuse me with iron. I'm sorry. I'm supposed to be eating more iron. Uh, Infuse me with life. Right? And it's not weighty because I'm yoked up with Jesus, right? Yeah. And so he gave us a possession, right? Now, see, here's the thing about possessing stuff. You have to take care of it. That's why he tests us on little things. You know, when you're a little kid, they don't hand you the keys to the car at two and saying, happy birthday to you. You're two years old. Here's the keys to a brand new Lamborghini. Right? Why? Because they're not ready. See, and it it hurts a giver. If you're a giver, it hurts a giver to not give what you want to give. But see, a wise parent... Only gives what the child's able to manage because they know that the child will be judged for what they manage and you'll be judged for what you allowed prior to the level of maturity needed. But see, Papa's not that way because he's the perfect father. He doesn't have an ego. He's not a people pleaser. He doesn't need to do something to get his needs met for you to like him. Wow. Remember when we parented? How many were, you know, Lynn spoke of it very well on her, her story. Is She was raised by parents who probably said no at first a lot, but she knew if at first you don't succeed, ask, ask, ask again. Rearrange those words into a different question to what? I always get my way. But unfortunately, that permissive style of parenting, that lack of boundary parenting created in her choices that were beyond her ability to actually manage and possess. Right? Right? So how many, if if you were raised that way, Then you're working with a negative In other words, when God comes in and says Hey, you can't have that Xbox, dude Your attitude stinks Then you're like, thank you God for not letting me have that Because my attitude stinks Thanks for checking me No, you can't have that ministry No, you can't have that wife No, you can't have that husband No, you can't have that job No, you can't have those things Because why? It's going to be a position And you're going to be measured By how well you do with your position So you should thank him. If you're not as famous as you thought you were going to be, you should thank him. He's going to give you what you can possess that won't cause you to leave him. When you you don't manage your possessions well, why would he keep adding to that? It just adds weight. To something that he's maturing. Are you with me? Yes. Trying to go really slow. So, I, if you look up that word, Mendel, you're gone, and I played the um, Greek word for inheritance. Kleronomia. And I said that you could have said that for us if you were in here, but I had to let George say it because you weren't here. So, when, if you look up that word, one of the first instances of that word that greek word is in matthew 21 so i wanted to read you the story but the same story is also in mark i think it's mark 12 but let's kind of look at matthew 21 and kind of dissect it just for a few minutes even though i only have like three minutes but um seriously how can that even be so the first story now now think about matthew I think the chosen represents him pretty well. He's a little more methodical. So let's just act like that that's true. So he, in Matthew 21, he tells all the things leading up to this hammer statement that we're going to get to at the end of Matthew 21. But Mark didn't do that. Now, I don't know who Mark, he wasn't one of the 12 disciples, obviously, but he just starts out with the same parable that Matthew 21 puts at the end. And so... But Matthew, he's given us sort of like, he's a melon, so he's given us these this preliminary foundation like a good melon will do. We don't want to just give you the hammer statement because you may miss the whole point, right? So in Matthew 21, he starts out with Jesus coming in on Palm Sunday, right? And so I love it. He Remember, um, I don't want to read all of it because I don't have time, but he told his disciples to go get a donkey, right? Now, no king came in on a donkey. They always came in on a horse. So, see, everything Jesus did didn't point to outward success as a king. Because the way Jesus want, wants to interact with people is he wants them to know him from the inside out, not from the exterior. And see, that's going to be a principle you're going to have to use in your life, that you're going to have to recognize the spirit in which someone comes across. So that may be good or bad. So if you're looking at their outward appearance and you want to get to know them, you want because they're famous or this or that, and you think, I've got to snug up to them, i got to get up to them, then there's some, that you're off. And so... So that's why he picked a donkey because he wanted to show how humility acted and so then you know he gave some prophecies there and let's move on down you know they threw down their cloaks so they could make a carpeted road for him and all that and all that and i love it verse 12 upon entering jerusalem jesus went directly to the temple now, this is, here's what, here's the story. Here's Jesus. Everybody's going, you're awesome. You know, palming him to death, high fives, everything. <laughs> right? Coming in on his donkey. The first thing he does as king with all this praise is he goes to the temple. And what's the first thing he does? The loving Jesus, this is what it says. He drove out all the merchants who were buying and selling their goods. He overturned the tables of the money changers and those who had the doves and all that. Now, remember, I love the, I don't know if you know about St. Jerome, but he's a guy that wrote, he translated the Bible into Latin. And so um, Brian Simmons quotes him. He says that when Jesus was doing this, His eyes says, for a certain fiery and starry light shone from his eyes and the majesty of God gleamed in his face. While he's turning over the money changer tables, while he's driving out, because what was it that he said? This is what he said. My dwelling, my house, shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a hangout for thieves. What was the point? I've preached on this before that what were they doing there, you know, that it was at the feast time and they were doing what? They were bringing sacrifices. And so if you were a poe person, then a poe person could only buy a dove because you didn't couldn't afford a big old cow. And they just had made up all these new rules, right? And they are just like, yeah, because you gotta come in, you gotta you gotta make some penance, you gotta do something. But who was who was profiting? Profiting. Yeah. yeah. There's they were profiting yeah. off of the law that was made back in the Old Testament where what happened there, God, remember, he wanted them to clean themselves. I didn't finish that story earlier so that they could come out and meet him, right? Because they want to get those stink off of them from Egypt, right? And because they weren't slaves no more. Yeah. And so then they, re, all the religious people keep rearranging all the rules and adding and doing all kinds of things. And now we've led to this, that Jesus rides in on his donkey in the first stop, his first pit stop, is the temple to clean house. Whose house? And so then the next thing that happens, verse 14, is he heals a bunch of people, and then 15. But when the chief priests, what's the chief priest? They're hanging out the temple. They're the profiteers, right? They're the religious people of the day, right? And religious scholars heard the children shouting, and saw the wonderful miracles of healing, they were furious. They were ticked off because why? Who's profiting today from all of our injuries and things? See, there's a profit to be made. The people who are profiting, they don't want no truth. It's happening everywhere you can look. Right? Because yeah. Yeah. Jesus just came in and healed all these people. And these are all the people they're profiting off of. Right. Because why? They're coming in to offer sacrifices. Why? Because they're sick. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. They're trying to fix up this yeah. body because of this sin. And that's what they were told. Your sin's making you sick. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's good. I'm not even preaching on that. And then verse 16, then Jesus said, don't you hear what the children are saying? This is not right. That's what, That's what. I mean, I'm sorry, that's what the, the, they said to Jesus, don't you hear what the children are saying? That's not right. What were they saying? Jesus, you're my main man. That's what they were saying, yeah. right? Heal me, Jesus, right? He heals everybody. Jesus, everywhere I go, Jesus heals everybody, right? So the, So they're saying, and Jesus said to them, Yes, I hear them, but have you never heard the scripture from the lips of children and infants you've ordained praise? So they clearly were giving him praise. Right? So then he left there, and then he he uh, went to Bethany, and then the next day, you know, it's when he the fig tree didn't have figs, and he was hungry, and he was mad, and he cursed it. Okay, right? Are you, I don't have time to read all this, right? And so, so then let's go on down, verse 23, after he did that with the figs, right? After this, he went to the temple again. Don't you love Jesus? This is a great, Matthew's leading us on this cool little journey, if you can really see it, a day in the life of Jesus, right? Comes in, Hosanna, he's all praised up, right? Right? Heals a bunch of people, gets accused of a bunch of stuff, throws out all the wicked people in the temple because he says this is supposed to be a place where there's something holy going on here. And he gets mad because he's hungry, and so then he curses a fig tree. I mean, he's just busy, man, right? Don't you love this story? So after this, verse 23, Jesus went to the temple, and he taught the people. The leading priests, here we are again, and the Jewish elders approached him and interrupted him by this. By what power? I love this question, which it, that word means authority. So here he is; he's doing stuff in the place where they are in charge, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, I would be doing this. Somebody walked up here and they started throwing books around and stuff. I'd be like, um, "Like, what, dude? What are you doing? Like, why are you up here doing that?" Right? So it's a it's a legitimate question, right? Yeah, yeah. By what power authority do you do these things? Who? granted you the authority to teach here i love jesus he clearly answers him by saying i too have a question to ask you if you can answer this question then i'll tell you by what power i do these things don't you love that i love that so then he asks him a question what did john's authority to baptize where did that come from Who gave John this authority to baptize? From heaven or people? And I love it. Matthew is recording this, but it says, they stepped away to debate. So clearly he could hear them, right? Just play along with me for a minute. How should we answer this? If we say from heaven, he'll say to us, then why didn't you respond to John and believe what he said? If we deny that God gave John his authority, we'll be mobbed by the people for their... See, they already knew the answer. Yeah. Have you ever tried to ask somebody a question? That is good. And they try to answer according to what they think that you want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Because they're already, they already have manipulation in their heart. Right. Yeah. They already have something in their heart. They're actually protecting themselves. They already knew the answer. If we say this, he'll say this. If we say this, they already knew the answer. They're over here debating it. I love verse 27. They said, we don't know. No, they clearly knew. Don't you love that Matthew included that? They clearly knew. And he says, Well, then neither will I tell you where this power comes from to do these things. Remember, because he said, if you answer this, what was he trying to do? Why was he trying to get them to answer that question? He was trying to reveal him to them. He knew they couldn't see him because of the question they were asking. But he knew their hearts were not going to be willing to hear him if they couldn't answer the question. If they weren't honest, you can't be healed of what you don't admit. It's a setup, right? So let's, there's the next one is a parable that Matthew lists. It's really good, but I'm really going to get down to this last part because I'm running out of time. Verse 33 is the parable of the rejected son. This entire Matthew, y'all are sleeping on me. This entire Matthew 21, some people are. This entire Matthew 21, <laughs> I'm not going to look at anymore. This entire chapter of Matthew 21 is a setup for this parable right here. The parable of the rejected son. Play close, pay close attention to this parable, Jesus says. So he made a special emphasis. And this is what Mark starts out with, is this parable right here. There was once an honorable man who planted a vineyard. He built a fence around it. Important boundary. Yeah. Dug a pit for pressing the grapes and erected a watchtower. Intercessors. Afterward, he leased the land to a tenant, farmers, and then went a distance away. At harvest time. He sent his servants and tenants to collect the portion that was due him as the lord of the vineyard. But the tenants seized his servants, beat one, killed another, stoned another. So the landowner sent more servants, even more than that at first, but they were mistreated. Now remember who he's talking to, right? He's talking to these religious leaders, okay? Finally, he sent his own son. To them and he said, perhaps with my own son standing before them, they will be ashamed of what they've done. But when the tenants saw the son, they said, this is the heir. Let's kill him and then we can have his inheritance. So they seized him, took him outside the vineyard and murdered him. Verse 40, you tell me, this is Jesus talking to the religious people. You tell me when the Lord of the vineyard comes, what do you think he'll do to the tenants? Verse 41, they answered, he'll bring a horrible death to those who did this evil and he will completely destroy them. Then he'll lease his vineyard to different tenants who will be faithful to give him the portion he deserves. When I read this, I thought, why did they say that he would lease his vineyard again? You'd think, I mean, like if it was us, we'd be like, well, this isn't successful. Right. Everybody died. And so let's sell this dude. Let's get out of town. Right? So I was asking my "Was like, why did they say that? I don't know why, but that was so highlighted to me yesterday. And so I love, I just, I took this really long journey with him yesterday. But let me just start out by saying these couple things. Um, In in, um, the commentary, it says that the vineyard is a metaphor for the promise of life and glory. Now, he was... He was saying, basically, that, that God has sent these religious people to train the Jewish people for the Messiah, right? That was what they were a religious person about, right? To keep the law, to keep the Torah, right? Train all the people because the coming Messiah is coming. But the coming Messiah was standing in front of them, and they couldn't see him. And they couldn't see him because the love for the law had superseded love for relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And I promise you that that's happening yes. for some of us. Yeah. Yeah. That's why, like I, that message that Bill I sent out about Bill is so important because he didn't. God didn't want robots. He wants people to be relational because you do something different when you're in a relationship than you do when you're just going to keep the law. So I have a good example of this. So Vinton was telling me the other day that whenever he would tell his grandma, I don't even know, I can't remember now why he told me this, but when he would tell his grandma that he liked orange soda, that he'd show up at the house the next day and the entire refrigerator would be full of orange soda. And he would be like, pressure like he does his little hands like this I don't want all this like he did he just wanted one orange pop right and see that that's the metaphor for it's not relational yeah. I didn't find out from you do you want an orange pop every day for the rest of your life or were you just trying to tell me something you liked yeah. can you see the difference so everything for God is relational and see we have to change and be relational with him and people. And so the leaders, he says in the commentary, the leaders of the nation were but tenants who were to tend the vineyard. So I love that because, you know, Bill always says that our tithes is just rent. Right? Right. You're a tenant farmer. People are the harvest. How are you doing with your harvest? If, if all the people everywhere you go are irritating you, then you're not a good tenant farmer. You didn't plant the vineyard. You didn't establish the boundaries. You didn't make the place for the wine press. You didn't make the watchtower. You didn't make any of that. You are a steward. And guess what? He allowed you to have a harvest. And now, that's what he said, he came to collect the rent. I love this. This is what Saint, whatever his name was, Jerome. This is what he said. Now listen, it's kind of old-timey language. God gives privileges and looks for results worthy of graces. Listen, we've got to, we've got to understand this is God's plan. Yeah. Is that he has given you an entire inheritance to steward and he's looking for results. Yes. You might be all offended by that. I don't know. But see, if you would just change your mind and say, this is what he's looking for, because he loves me, because he made everything about me, all my gifts, my entire being to function in this program. Yes. Right? Yes. And see, anything that's a get anything that's in your mind that you are taught that isn't this way, it's going you're gonna be working from a negative. Yes. You're gonna be trying to get God to disprove something that he never said and he just won't do it. So he says, he sends warnings, he raises up apostles, prophets, preachers, evangelists, and if a church is still unfaithful, he takes away his spirit and he lets it lapse and gives its inheritance to others. His other commentary was, the vineyard is the soul of man, which he has to cultivate for the master's use. We just talked about soul today. Your soul was made to burn. Yes. That was it was designed to burn with passion. Yes. It was. It was designed. Not passion for your own selfish gain. Yes. But passion because of how well I'm loved. And I want to display this love to other people to say to other people, I have been so loved. What you're looking for is not a husband or a wife or a job. It's him. God has hedged it around with the law, external and internal, which just means, he this old-timey language, but he the, the boundary was so important. It's the first thing he did after he made the vineyard was he made a fence. The first thing you're going to have to do to apprehend your destiny is you're going to have to have a boundary around your destiny because the people in your life that don't know him, they're going to trespass. And you let them. You don't understand. It's the saboteur of your destiny. It will sabotage your destiny to allow people to trample your vineyard at will. I'm sorry it's hard. I'm sorry that you're a people pleaser and you just don't want to say no, but you will never achieve your destiny as long as you don't establish boundaries around the thing that's valuable in your life. It says God hedged it around with the law, external and eternal, internal, given it the ministry and sacraments and the Scripture. These are old timey language, and looks to it to bring forth the fruits of obedience, service, and worship. Ooh. It's such a good way to say it that this is God gave us all these things for obedience, service, and worship. Now He didn't make a bunch of workaholics. He's so relational, but this is the goal. You see, when I establish him in my heart, the the place he needs to be, which is exactly this, this Matthew 21, that he was saying to these religious leaders, I gave you all these people to care for. That's why he started out at the temple, cleaning the temple. I gave you all these hearts to care for. And all you did was take advantage of them. So I cleaned the temple for you to show you. I gave you a demo of what it's supposed to look like. I did the thing with the fig tree, which I can't explain right now. But I've already preached on it before. I did all these things. I healed these people. I did all these things to demonstrate to you who I am. And you're still asking me what authority I have. You can't see me. So I'm not going to answer you because you can't see me. He went on the commentary from St. Jerome says, He sends times of visitation, teaching warning. He speaks to it by secret inspiration. He calls it in loving tones to a closer union. If it hearkens, this is our little soul. If it hearkens to the call, it walks in the way of salvation. If it refuses to hear, it casts away the hope of its calling and must share the lot of Christ's enemies. See, that, that, that is the commentary from St. Jerome of Matthew 21. That that's what he's saying, is that the reason why they asked that is because they actually, he set them up. They knew about what it meant to own a business, what it meant to do produce, what it meant to have crops, what it meant to have a vineyard. That all made sense to them. And so he knew that even though all that bad stuff happened, he knew the business of the Father would go on. And see, he was trying to describe to them, I gave you all these people to care for, but instead of caring for them, you don't even see that the Messiah is standing right here in front of you. You allowed things to happen in the temple. You allowed all these things. You don't even celebrate that all these people are getting healed. You're way off. And so he says at the very end, he says, this is why that I say to you that the kingdom realm of God will be taken from you and will be given to a people who will bear its fruit. That's what's happening and has happened, is that God is looking for people who will be leaders, who will care for what he cares for, who will clean what he cleans, who will curse what he curses, who will heal what he heals. And if you do that, you will bear fruit. But if you stand back and you allow the temple to be desecrated and you allow all these other things that go on and you don't take your position, he's going to give it to somebody else. And I think that is the key to the new inheritance, is that that is what you've been entrusted to and that's what you can manage. Come on, Mendel.
0: Oh, good. So good. So good. So exciting. Well, um, gosh, there's a whole lot. That was just a tip of the iceberg of what I know Tisa already has on new inheritance, but it was a fun beginning, right? It's very exciting. Well, um, I was asking the Holy Spirit how we should close up today and um, he wants me to share something with you that I can't preface it. I'm just going to say it. Okay. <laughs> I hope I can tie it all together. I can see all these connecting dots, but well, I heard Johnny Enlow say something a couple of weeks ago that really, really stuck with me and it keeps resonating with me. And he's, he was talking about how important it was to know the present day narrative of what God's saying. And he used the example of David and Goliath in that story. And and so if you remember, you know, Goliath Goliath had been up there with the uh, Palestinians, right, Um, taunting the Israelites. And he had been taunting them, and they were cowering in fear day after day after day. And and so you could say they were believing what he was saying. Well, David comes along, and this is what Johnny Enlow was saying, David comes along and here's what this giant is saying, and is like, what are you saying? That's not right. You can't get away with that. You're not right. Because David knew the narrative about who God really was. So he saw the contrast and said, no, that cannot be. And he knew who he was. So he went and took care of business. Well, if he didn't know the narrative, if he didn't have the correct narrative, then when he encountered the giant and what he was saying, he wouldn't have reacted that way. He might have just, you know, gave his brothers some food and gone on home. So that's that's how important it is for us to know the current narrative. And so, um, you know, I've really been tracking with what the Holy Spirit's been bringing through our house here, and then also what other prophets are saying. And it's I'm saying I'm just telling you guys it's really really important that you keep going over these messages, and the things, even if you don't fully understand them yet, keep them in the back of your mind because you're going to encounter things throughout your day that are opportunities to engage with what the Holy Spirit's doing right now to to propel everything that propel us forward and what he's about to pour out and what he is currently pouring out. And so um, along those lines of this new inheritance, um, I was reminded that um, I was part of the process a part of the songwriting process for that song and that word new inheritance. And I remembered the moment that came to me when we were songwriting and it kind of came out of a moment of improv. And I saw the picture of, um, of how he anoints our heads with oil and he washes our feet clean. And I would really encourage everybody to go back and listen to that song. Cause if you listen to it, it tells a story. It talks about a whole process and maybe we can even put the words to the song in our Evernote for you guys to, to look over. But um, it really is a, a really cool process. So I looked up in Scripture and found in John 13 um, where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And so, you know, he washes our feet clean. And I in the uh, footnote, in the Passion Translation there, um, well, let me back up. He says... Peter, you know, he's always given us such good examples of this. So Jesus gets up and he starts washing the disciples' feet. When he gets to Peter, Peter says, I can't let you wash my dirty feet. You're my Lord. You know, so this is an example of what I'm saying. He had a, an order of things that he felt like that's not right. That's disrespectful to you for me to let you wash my dirty feet. So he had a narrative already in mind that so he was protested what jesus was trying to do and so he does it twice Um, and jesus says you don't understand yet the meaning of what i'm doing but soon it will be clear to you peter looked at jesus and said again you'll never wash my dirty feet never (laughs) 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 it's just so funny but so jesus says but peter if you don't allow me to wash your feet then you will not be able to share life with me. So then at that, Peter said, in that case, Lord, wash all of me, basically. Just wash, wash all of me. So I want to propose that that was the new narrative. Okay, that was Jesus was saying, look, you don't understand all of this yet, but trust me, if you don't let me do this, you won't be able to share life with me. And so it's an example of this knowing the narrative and, and really being able to yield to the current narrative. But the footnote in um, when Jesus said, you don't understand yet the meaning of what I'm doing, but soon it will be clear to you. Um, The footnote in the Passion Translation says that by removing their sandals and washing their feet, Jesus was showing them that he was granting them a new inheritance. It was his own inheritance. The (laughs) The sandal is often used in covenants of inheritance in the Hebrew culture. Every defilement would be removed so that they could place the sole of their feet upon the new covenant inheritance. And so he in the Passion Translation, there's lots of examples. It talks about Joshua, you know, and God tells Joshua every place that you plant the sole of your feet, basically the land that your sole of your feet touches will be yours. And in Ruth, there's an example in chapter four of this process of taking off the sandal and in the transferring of land. And then even in um, Exodus and Moses, um, God told Moses to remove his sandals because he was about to receive a new inheritance. The holiness of God and the authority that came with it. So again, that's where the new inheritance comes little nugget started for that song and i'm just telling you that was back in november and i have without realizing it i have received a new inheritance i mean i have he he i've entered into a new clearing which is what that song says and i didn't realize it until afterwards but i was like oh my gosh that's what he was saying prophetically you lead me into a brand new clearing unlike anything i've ever seen that's what the song says and so that's what he's doing right now. So important that you listen to the new narrative, keep it, keep it ever before you um, so that we can participate, whether it's cleansing us from some, the defilement on our feet, as it said, so that we can be prepared for the new inheritance, so that we can partner with him and speak the things that, he's, that needs to be spoken in that moment, speak against the things that are against him. Um, we, we've got to keep the narrative in front of us. Because there is a new inheritance. There is a new inheritance. It's, the song talks about it's a continuous thing. It's a continuous new inheritance. It's a circular path. If you look back at the song, okay, it's a circular thing. You take, it always starts with the I love you, I love you, you're the one I love. It takes you into another new inheritance. We're always receiving a new inheritance. So this is, this is a word about the nature of God, the nature of our relationship with him, but it's also a now moment for a new inheritance that we're entering into. So Papa, we just say thank you today for the way that you prepare our hearts. Thank you that back then Jesus was with the disciples. He was face to face with them and able to tell Peter, hey, you don't understand this, but I'm doing a new thing. If you don't let me wash your feet, you're not going to be able to walk with me. That was the new narrative. So we just thank you that you send the Holy Spirit now and you've provided all of these great uh, prophets and Um, teachers and pastors and all of these messages that flow through this house and others to really um, provide the new narrative, the new narrative coming from you so that we can participate fully with you and yield fully to what you're doing in this moment. So we just give all honor and glory and praise to you, Holy Spirit, for the way that you are speaking to us and that you're constantly, constantly entreating us and giving giving us the language that we need to partner with you. So, we just say we love you. Thank you for the honor and privilege of inviting us to participate with you in this season. Thank you for your mercy and your grace and all that you're doing to cleanse us and free us of the obstacles as we enter into the new promised land. And so, we just say thank you. We love you. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com.